What's going on everyone? Like always, EMT Life here. Today, we're going to talk about some of the responsibilities that will be what I think the foundation of a good EMT. Like I say before, I always say this, these are just my opinions. You may have completely different opinions that don't agree with anything that I say. And if you do, you know, just shoot me a DM on Instagram at EMT underscore life underscore podcast and let me know what you think about this. But like I said, these are just my opinions on what I think makes a good EMT. But before we get into that, we recap the week. So this week at work, we had a lot of deaths, which was kind of unusual. You know, we get one or two a week, but we had quite a few more than that this week. So it was a little weird. We also had a lot of BLS calls. So a BLS call is basic life support. So as an EMT, you're allowed to take that patient. Uh, I work primarily on an ALS truck. So it's an EMT and a paramedic. So on an ALS truck, you have to get the paramedic's consent basically to take patient care. So a paramedic still does their assessment. And if they deem that the patient doesn't need any advanced life support, such as IV, cardiac monitoring, medications, etc., uh, that as an EMT, you're allowed to take that patient and ride in the back with them. So they have to sign a paramedic attestation form that states that the EMT can take this, that the paramedic check the patient out, and the EMT has full rights to the patient, basically. So we had a lot of those, and I don't mind that because it's literally in the job description. You know, that's that's your job. Uh, unfortunately, the report writing sucks, but, you know, it only it only helps you to learn how to document correctly because when you become a paramedic, there is a lot more documentation that you will be doing. And for me, I'm all about furthering your education. So one day, paramedic school will happen for me. Not anytime soon, but one day. So further your education is something. If you're an EMT, become a paramedic. If you don't want to be a paramedic, you can go to fire school or you can you know, not even work in this field and go do something else. But do something to further your education because it, it only just makes you a better person and the knowledge that you have can just help so many more people. But we also had a uh, pediatric patient that needed to be transferred out of county to a pediatric hospital. So in the county that I work in, we have two hospitals and the median age is like 65. So it's it's an older county. And the hospitals, even though they're a hospital, they're not really well equipped for pediatric patients. So most of the time, we end up taking them out to a bigger city who has specialists who, you know, specialize in pediatric patients, and they just get a higher level of care. But like I said before, it's it's always good to refresh and advance your knowledge in this field of work. So having that pediatric patient just kind of gets the hamster and the wheel turning in your brain to just 
so you remember the protocols and the vital signs and just that are different in a pediatric patient than say the geriatric patient who we're used to working with. So like I said, it's, it's a lot of fun to get pediatric patients because we're not used to it and it makes us think a little more. It gets that critical thinking going in our mind. But we're going to hear a, a quick little message from our sponsor and then we'll get into, again, what I believe, my opinion, what I believe are the, I'll say, three responsibilities that create a good EMT. Let's talk about what I think are the three most important and most reoccurring categories that as an EMT, you will be doing every shift, every day you work. These are my opinions as always, and everyone's going to be thinking differently than I do, which is completely fine. If you disagree with me or you agree with me, let me know on Instagram at EMT underscore life underscore podcasts. And let me know what you think, and we can shoot ideas back and forth. And it, that only creates better EMTs and, you know, bouncing ideas off each other. You might try something different one shift that works a lot better for you, and I might try something different that you told me to do, and it works better for me. So you, you're always creating a, a better work environment and better EMT in yourself. Like I said, my opinions, but when I'm working, these are the three categories that make up 80% of my job. Number one is driving. As the EMT, you are the primary driver of that ambulance. And there is nothing wrong with that. You treat the ambulance like it's your baby. You know, you, you make sure the ambulance has fuel. You check the oil level. You have washer fluid. And you just make sure the truck is good to go for the shift. There, there's nothing wrong with having pride in your truck. You have to clean it, you know, so you have to wash it inside and out. Make sure it's shiny. Make sure the wheels are shiny. You have shiny rims. Just, just have a sense of pride so the public knows that you care. And so they, they see, oh, they take care of the ambulance. They're going to take care of me. At least that's what the thought process is. But... You check the truck, make sure it's good to go for the shift. You check to make sure you have all the supplies that you'll need for the shift and that all your equipment works. When I'm working, especially if I'm working with a paramedic I don't usually work with, I tell them straight up, you don't touch the radio, like the radio to dispatch. You, you can mess with the AM, FM radio, but don't, don't touch my radio. Don't touch the lights. You don't touch the siren. That's all mine. As an EMT, that's, and you're sitting in the driver's chair, that's your space. You know, if, if you got somebody who's sitting in the passenger seat reaching over trying to mess with your stuff, that's another thing that you have to take your eyes off the road for and pay attention to. If you keep your hand on the siren and you're driving, you know which way the siren turns and which siren you like to use when, that just eliminates you having to take an eye off the road. But if you got somebody reaching over and grabbing it, it's just a whole nother thing. So for me, if I'm driving, that's mine. You as the paramedic, you can be in charge of everything else. You, 
you can be in charge of the truck if you want to. If you want me to call you boss, I'll call you boss. But if I'm driving, that's my little cubicle, basically. You know, I'm in charge of that. I know where everything is. I can work it with one hand. You focus on the cab, read me the notes, let me know what's going on so I can just focus on the road. But when I'm driving, just don't touch anything. That's mine. Number two is safety. So what's the one thing in EMT school that your teachers or instructors drilled into your head all the time? Scene safe, BSI. As EMT, you're in charge of safety while on the scene. So when we arrive on scene, I'm usually the one that pulls the stretcher out. So I'm already at the foot of the stretcher. And I normally enter the house first. And by going into the house first, yes, that puts you at risk for whatever's going to happen. Somebody could have a knife, gun, any sort of weapon. So when you go in the house, you have to look and make sure it's safe. And don't just go walking in willy-nilly, you know, bang on the door, open it slowly, announce your presence, and then you can slowly go in making sure you can see everything. But like I said, usually at the... I'm usually at the foot of the stretcher, so I'm the first one in. And I've talked about this with my partner, and she's told me that she feels safer if I go in first. So I, and I have no problem with that. So as we're walking in, I'm taking in the scene, making sure everything's good to go, looking at potential hazards. And as long as my partner can hear it, the only thing on scene I will say is, What's going on today? So that opens the conversation for if the patient is able to verbally communicate with us, then the patient can talk and my, myself and my partner can hear. Or if a family member's there, myself and my partner can still hear the story. But that is the only sentence I usually ever say on scene. And then what usually happens after that? We get to the patient, the medic gets down to their level, wherever they're at, and starts talking to the patient. So now, you're in charge of safety on scene. Along with listening to what questions your partner is asking, you have to listen to what the patient is saying. And you also have to watch for your safety, because the medic's trying to figure out, if anything, what is wrong with the patient. So... As EMT, you got to take all that in and figure out signs and symptoms, you know, what medications might be needed, what course of action might be needed, and then safety. So it's, it's a lot to handle, and you, ha- you just have to keep calm, keep your composure, and just constantly do it. And finally, number three is equipment setup. Like I said earlier, the paramedic is trying to figure out what's wrong. So along with looking out for both of your safety, you have to listen to what the patient is saying and in some sort of way, read your medic's mind and start setting up the necessary equipment if any any is needed. So for example, you get a chest pain call. What is the first thing that should go through your mind on what you need to do 
if you have a chest pain call, start a 12 lead. Where I work, our protocol says for a chest pain, we have six minutes to get the first 12 lead on the monitor printed and the paramedic has to interpret it. So you make first contact with the patient. They tell you their chief complaint, oh, my chest hurts, it's feeling heavy. And while your medic's getting the history, you should be putting the electrodes on the patient. If you have a good medic, while en route to the call, they will be reading the call notes to you while you're driving so you can prepare your mind what needs to happen, right? So let's just say, again, with the chest pain call, you get a chest pain call, you're en route, the notes update, and let's just say it's a, I don't know, 70-year-old male. Uh, he's alert-oriented. He obviously is having chest pain, chest chest discomfort, uh, he, he's struggling to breathe, but he's still breathing, and he does have a history of heart attacks, angina, and stents, right? So that's, that's all useful information that dispatchers figure out and put into the call notes and send it to us so we know what we're getting into. So your paramedic should be reading that to you if you're driving so you know what the best course of action is when you get on scene. So you have to know your signs and symptoms just as well as the paramedic. And you also have to know what the treatment for that condition might be. Because without each other, you could not accomplish this job. Everyone thinks that the paramedic is the only one who has any sort of responsibility when that isn't the case. And a lot of paramedics, especially in a private service where I work, feel that and they treat their EMTs like trash, which is not good because you are a team. You have two people on a truck, EMT and paramedic, depending on where you work, obviously. But this is just where I work, EMT and paramedic. That's it. That's, that's your team and that's who you have to get the job done. And you have to trust in one another's abilities to accomplish that goal. And if you have a paramedic who treats you like trash, you're not gonna wanna help the paramedic out. But the the EMT has responsibility as well. You know, like I said, you have to know your signs and symptoms, know how to treat it. And not only that, you drive a vehicle that is over $200,000. So being an EMT, you can be as equally important, or you can even be more important than a paramedic. You know, it's just, you have to be so cautious and alert while driving, because when you drive, it's not you who's the problem, it's the other drivers that you have to watch out for. And you, you also, you know, you don't have to drive just your partner only, but you also have to drive the patient as well. So like I said, 80% is 80% of your job is driving, safety, and equipment setup. The other 20% is patient care. You have calls where the medic deems a patient BLS and you are able to take care of that patient and write the report. 
or you may work on a BLS truck and you can have patient contact that way so long as the patient falls within policy and protocols of your service. You know, I always joke around with everyone and say that I'm just a driver when really that isn't the case. Do I prefer to drive? Absolutely, because a lot of the paramedics that I've worked with, they cannot drive. It is bad. So I prefer to drive. It is what it is. But, you know, that's only because paramedics haven't driven in a while because they're used to just sitting in the back. But know your worth as an EMT. Know what you're capable of doing. Know what you're capable of what you can do. And always be the best EMT you can be. And never stop expanding your knowledge in the healthcare system. Like I said before, I'm, I'm huge into furthering your education. Whether that be go to school and be a paramedic. Or stay an EMT and learn what everything does. You know, Learn all your drugs, what, what indications and contraindications you can use for the drugs. What the drugs actually do. Because I can tell you right now... I can tell you Zofran is an anti-nausea medication. That's it. I don't know what else. I don't know how Zofran really works. You can ask a paramedic how Zofran works and they can tell you. So just further your education. That's all I say. As always, you know, you can follow me on Instagram at EMT underscore life underscore podcasts. And let me know your thoughts on what you think an EMT is capable of doing and what they should be doing on scenes. And always, if you agree or disagree with me. But like always, everyone take care and God bless.